Hey everybody, good Tuesday morning or afternoon. It is about 10.30 a.m. Pacific time, actually it's 10.28 Pacific time, but welcome to this edition of Topics on My Mind for today, the 8th of September 2020, the day after Labor Day. Hope you all had a great Labor Day weekend and hope you all got home safe or are coming home safe uh, as I speak. And this is, as you see the title, is a special edition or one of my special uh, topical editions of Topics on My Mind. And it is a wrestling slash animation edition. Well, I'll talk about uh, wrestling first and then I'll talk about animation. Divided them in half, basically four topics for wrestling, four for um, animation. So, yeah, we're going to be diving into that. So, again, hope you all had a great Labor Day weekend um i of course had to work on labor day um at my job and i was supposed to um i was supposed to uh work today uh, i was supposed to like i said i was supposed to work uh today but that didn't happen um Long story short, I'll put it this way. Um, if you work at a job or an employ- if you work for a company who allows you to check your schedule, print out your schedule, even ask for a bit of time off or a few hours off um, from home or from your mobile device, like your phone or something like that. For, for those of you that... Um, Uh, what I was trying to say, okay, for those of you that have that ability like I do, uh, you'll probably understand that sometimes having that ability causes some hiccups. Um, like I said, long story short, today I was supposed to do, I was supposed to work 11.30 to 4. That might still change or happen in a little while. I'm not really sure. And like I said, my job, like I'm sure a lot of you would probably understand, um, gave me and my fellow associates the ability to check our schedule online, either from our computer, like what I'm using right now, or our phone or our tablets, whatever. Well, it also allowed us the ability to request time off. You know, basically say, hey, we're going to be um, off this day, or we're gonna, we need this day off so because we're not going to be there, or because we need a, just a mental break or something. And usually, most times, if nothing's really going on, nothing major or significant, we will get that day off. Now, now, you know, that's cool and everything. But they also allow you to, but they also give you the ability to ask for a few hours off or a few minutes due to the fact that something else may come up. Like if you need a few hours off, it's due to maybe you have a doctor's appointment you got to go to, or if you're a parent, you got to go and attend a PTA meeting uh, for your child at school, or you got to be part of your child's uh, introductory uh, introduction of your orientation, you know, at the school, whether it's kindergarten, preschool, you name it. Well, they allow us that ability, but like I said, apparently some bugs need to be worked out uh, in the long run because, long because again, to get to the point. I was supposed to work today, 1130 to four. I know that the bus I take, which is the 11 o'clock bus, 
usually gets me gets me to my job by 11.45, 11.47. And I know that when I go in, I have to not only clock in, but then I have to battle, I have to wait about a minute before I go to um, the area on the computer that I can go to at home or on my phone or similar on my phone and basically punch in in uh, my protected PTO for 15 minutes because of the 15 minutes I lost. And usually it's approved right then and there by the system. So you would think by doing that at home and basically, in a sense, making your job aware that, hey, I'm going to be there, but I'm going to be late by 15 minutes, that they would acknowledge, okay, we'll approve that and we'll see you at work. You would think by doing that from the comfort of your home on your laptop or on your phone that things would be okay. You'd still be able to go to work. That didn't happen. Instead, what happened is they gave me the 15 minutes off, but then they decided to give me the whole day off. And not just today, but Friday as well. And there's a couple of reasons I can understand that. One, we've been hiring some new people, and they've been basically literally doing on-the-job training. They haven't been going through tests, CBLs as we call them, or anything like that, pathways, whatever. They haven't been doing any of that really because of what's been going on with this pandemic. So they've been basically rushed out to the the floor almost where they would basically shadow people, get an idea of what's going on, wait till they're given their codes or numbers to uh, to utilize so they can go and do their job that they've been hired for. Well, that's one reason to understand it. But still, when you go on to your thing and you're just telling them, look, I just need a few minutes off because I'm going to be late, but I will be there. That doesn't mean you basically say, oh, let's just give them the whole day off. You have to have a reason for doing that. You have to say, oh, well, it's because we probably have too many people. And it's only in my case today and, and on Friday. Oh, it's only four and a half hours. We it's, it's nothing really big or significant. You try telling that to the management up front and when you end up getting a rush. You know what I'm saying? You know, you try telling that to the management up front when you end up getting a rush. Because, um, honestly, you need all the help you can get. Now, again, I can understand maybe that's the reasoning. Because yesterday when I was at work, uh, there were several times that I would come back from break or lunch and all the registers that we were utilizing would be full. So they would be full. So you wouldn't need uh, someone like me to basically, um, you know, do a register. Instead, what did I do? I ended up doing carts and 107 degree weather at 10 degrees from the asphalt, if you will, in the parking lot. And you're looking at 117 so yeah, that's why I look like I'm a little out of it still. Because basically I got exhausted by doing it. I mean, the first time I was asked to do it, I was okay with that. And then I just looked in the corner of my eye in the back, saw that the carts on the grocery side were going downhill, or at least a number of them. So I basically told my CSM, and she's like, go. Go take care of it. Go do what you got to do. And I did. I wouldn't do what I had to do, so Yeah. I did that and um, just like, 
That's what exhausted me. That's what exhausted me. So, you know, here I am, you know, uh, on a day. So here I am. And I, I was going to try to talk to somebody at work and try to tell them what's going on. But after what happened yesterday, I kind of look at maybe I do need to relax, kind of take a day off, you know, kind of recover from being in the heat. But still, what I'm getting at is, you know, despite that, it's it's still no excuse, okay? You know, it's it's still no excuse, if you will, to uh, basically, you know, it, it's still no excuse. What I'm trying to get at is it's still no excuse, uh, in my opinion, to basically not not work or not operate the system you've been given correctly. If you're going to work and operate the system you've been given correctly, then do it. Don't, don't end up, you know, utilizing it and then doing something that makes, makes you look bad. And that's essentially what this kind of a system does to any of the people that are responsible for, for running it. You know, you're making yourself and the company look bad by basically saying, oh, you want your 15 or you want your 30 minutes off because you might be late or you got something to do? No problem. No problem. We'll give you that. But you know what? We'll also give you the whole day off too. It's like you you can't do that. What you need to understand is when somebody's asking you, in my case, that, hey, I'm off. I'm going to be late by 15. I need 15 minutes off because I'm going to be late. Or I need to PTO 15 minutes because I'm going to be late. It doesn't mean, oh, let's just... Uh, you know, let's just give them the whole day. I mean, it's not that I don't appreciate it or anything like that. And again, I can understand maybe it's because we have a lot of people. But still, you need to work out the bugs. You need to work out the kinks when you're going to do something like this. doesn't matter if you're a multi-billion dollar corporation or uh, the, one of the biggest retailers in the world. It doesn't matter. You got, if, you're gonna up, if you're going to utilize a system like this, Make sure everything is on the up and up. Make sure you have, you're on the up and up, up and that you understand when somebody requests 30 minutes or 15 minutes off because they either got or a few hours off because they got because they're going to be late or they got a doctor's appointment or something else has come up. Don't assume that means they want the whole day. Just look at that and say, oh, OK, they need that time off. OK, no problem, because, you know, they're still going to come in. Don't assume they want the whole day. Don't just say, oh, okay, we'll give them the 15 minutes off, but we'll also give them the whole day. No. You look at that, you say, oh, okay, this person requested 15 minutes off, but off, but they're still scheduled to come in. They're still planning to come in. Okay, no problem. We'll give them the 15 minutes off, and we'll see them at work when they get here. That's what you need to do. That's what you need to do. You need to basically, you need to utilize it and realize, okay, this is what they want. This is what they're asking for. As I adjust my laptop there. But this is what they want. This is what they're asking for. And they're still going to come into work. So, okay, fine. Uh, we understand why they're doing this. And that's it. That's it. Don't assume. Don't assume, ladies and gentlemen. Don't assume. Boom, it means they want to be paid for just 15 minutes, but they also want the whole day off. No. Don't assume that. Don't assume that. What you need to do is basically make sure you have everything in order 
and that you realize, oh, when somebody's asking for a few hours off, half hour or 15 minutes, that does not mean they want the whole day. That means they're going to be coming into work, but they just need time because they have other things coming up or they have other things scheduled like appointments and all that, or they're going to be late because they have, have to take a certain amount, a, cer- a certain mode of transportation to work. You know, so hopefully, hopefully my company and other companies that do this or utilizing this now or have been utilizing it, if they've had these kind of problems and still do have them, hopefully they work them out in the long run. And when people ask for 15 minutes off or 30 minutes off because they might be late getting to work, hopefully they they get a better understanding of, oh, that person's coming to work. They're just going to be late. And instead of just being like, well, we'll just give them the day off. Again, not that we don't appreciate it. It's just get the priorities in straight. You know what I'm saying? Get the priorities uh, straight. Uh, Anyway, though, I know I went off on that for about 13 minutes. so I do apologize. I do apologize. So anyway, let's get into some of our topics that we're going to uh, discuss today on this uh, Tuesday. Like I said, they're divided by four in each category. So from the wrestling perspective, we have four topics we're going to talk about. One, we're going to talk about the Sasha Bailey story and um, how long, far WWE will go with it. Number two, we'll talk about the retribution angle moving primarily over to Raw for now and when we will see them unmask. Then number three, we'll talk about how Contra Unit of MLW, Major League Wrestling, Probably is probably being one of the best stables in wrestling right now and why that is. Then number four, we will talk about whether or not the Dynasty stable, which is also part of MLW, will show up in AEW soon to aid MJF. Let me reread that. The fourth topic in the wrestling side of things is will the Dynasty stable show up in AEW soon to aid MJF? That'll be interesting to look at. And then when we get to the animation portion, the four topics we'll talk about is this. Number one, from the animation side, will we see the lustful melt gag in the new Animaniacs reboot when it debuts in November? Yes, that is a good uh, question. As I just adjust the camera here for a second. There we go. Hold on for a second. Let me, let me look at something. And hello there, ZTales327. So just in the camera a bit. There we go. Maybe hold on for a sec. Okay. Just making sure, guys. Just making sure everything is on the up and up here. Uh, yeah. There we go. Just making sure everything's on the up and up. Anyway, we will talk about that. Number two, will we talk? Okay, so again, getting back to us in the four topics on the animation side that we're going to talk about is number one: will we see the re- will we see the m- lustful melt gag in the new Animaniacs reboot when it debuts in November? Uh, number two, we will talk about what are the plans of Team Season when it comes to their animated continuation of of Sonic's AM. Excuse me, there again. Second topic will be, what are the plans of Team Season when it comes to 
the continue animated continuation of Sonic Set AM. Number three, we're going to talk about could the DeviantArt webcomic Mystic Makeover by Mr. Internet Man work as an animated series for a platform like Netflix or or Amazon Prime Video or many uh, others um, as well. As I just uh, correct something there for a second. And then number four, number four might be probably the longest one on the animation side. We're going to talk about the five best My Little Pony Friendship is Magic episodes of the final season, that being season nine, in my opinion. So, yeah, get ready to uh, let, um, uh, watch that as I type in some uh, tags here on uh, the tag thing here on YouTube. Hold on for a second, guys. Um, Oh, guys, gonna be sticking here. Hold on. All right, guys, hold on for a sec. All right, just adding some topics there. Oh, not topics, but some tags into the tag section here on my live stream. All right, so anyway, those are what we're going to talk about. So let's get talk, let's get discussing, shall we? Let's get to talking. And the first topic we're going to talk about as we go into the wrestling portion, the four topics for the wrestling portion. The first topic we're going to talk about the Sasha is the Sasha Banks Bailey story and how long slash far WWE will go with it. Now, in case you guys don't know what I'm talking about, uh, for the past uh, several months, if not the past year or so, uh, WWE has been uh, teasing, basically, uh, tension, on and off tension with, with Bailey and Sasha, not just for this past year, but over the past several years. 
um, they came close to finally, I guess, pulling the trigger about a year ago too, when the the girls had, I think, a backstage brawl on, on Raw. Uh, but that came to nothing. They just made up or something. I don't know what occurred. I think they made up or something or something happened. But yeah, they were they were close. They came close on several occasions of, you know, like I said, pulling the trigger. And hello, Angela. Hello, Swagger Stories. Nice to see you guys in the live stream as well, in the live chat. But like I said, uh, they've been teasing this for like several several years. And, and like I said, last year or so, they, they uh, came close to, I think about a year or so ago, maybe two years ago. Uh, actually, yeah, about two years ago. It doesn't feel that long, but about two years ago, they, like I said, they had a backstage brawl between the two. It looked like they were going to pull the trigger in time for last year's WrestleMania. That didn't happen. And uh, again, it's just been an on and off thing. And now it looks like they're finally going to pull the trigger because I think primarily it's due to the fact that both ladies on SmackDown. SmackDown is on Fox and Fox wants ratings. They want SmackDown to succeed. They want they want more bang, coin phrase, more bang for the buck, if you will. And I'm assuming Vince McMahon, Bruce Pitchard, and whoever else is in charge on the SmackDown side of things is realizing that one of the potential ratings grabbers and money makers is, you know, the Sasha Banks Bailey feud rivalry and culmination um, into a match uh, down the line. So basically, this past um, this past Friday on SmackDown, they finally decided to pull the trigger. On, on starting and um, finally starting this feud or reigniting it and probably going forward with it, uh, because because lo- basically what happened is from the story perspective, uh, Sasha and Bailey lost their tag titles to Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax um, at Payback uh, last Sunday, and not this past Sunday but a week ago, and. They ended up getting a rematch the following Friday on SmackDown, which they lost again. And what happened is from a story, from a context story perspective, Sasha ended up injuring her kneecaps. Basically, she was going for a running uh, meteor, as they call it, meteora, as they call it. She was going for a running meteora or a diving meteor or something like that to, I think it was Naya or, or Shayna. And either one of them, I think it was Shayna, moved out of the way and she just cracked or just banged her knees onto the LED pole, which is, you know, which is replacing the ring post. She, uh, yeah, it was the LED post is what it is. She ended up banging both her knees into the LED post and and she ended up hurting herself, but she was still able to continue the match. So the injury wasn't real as they would put it it was storyline uh, it was written in from a story perspective but long story short both bailey and sasha refu- uh, ended up losing uh, the doctors came to attend to sasha because she was continuing to kind of sell the injury sell the injury of, of her knees uh, she didn't want their help bailey said get off her let her go out on her own power and the moment bailey helped sasha out to the rings out to the aprons uh, just outside of the ropes on the apron. That's when Bailey snapped on her. That's when Bailey decided to take the knife and put it right through her heart or right to her, 
right through Sasha's back and through and through her heart and through the front, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the moment Bailey was helping Sasha out or letting Sasha leave on her own power, the moment they got Sasha sitting on the apron and she was exiting the ring, like I said, that's when Bailey snapped on her, betrayed her, put the knife to her back, and made it go all the way through her back to her heart and up the, you know, and right through her front, um, her front chest. So yeah, basically Bailey turned on her. She snapped. She started beating the crap out of her. Uh, she tried to re-aggravate the leg. She put her head in between a chair and stomped on it from the second rope. And it's played up that she severely injured Sasha and it's being played up that we may not see Sasha for quite some time. <sighs> okay. Okay, so... So how, where do I go with this? Where do I go with this? How do I, how do I look at this? One, I like the idea that they went this route. Because you know that when she ends up... Uh, when she ends up coming back, if you will, that whether they're still doing... Um, whether, whether or not they're still doing... A um, what's the one I'm looking for? Oh yeah, whether or not they're still doing the virtual audience, or they've been given the okay to bring in a legitimate audience. No matter how it's done, no matter how she comes back, she's going to get a massive reaction. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that Sasha is going to get a massive reaction. Um, uh, when she comes back. You know, she's going to get a, a massive reaction, whether it's social media online-wise, whether they have a bit of a live crowd in there or not. She's going to get a massive reaction. Everybody knows that. And and here's, but here's the thing, though. I hear people like Solomonster, Jason Solomon, or Solomonster sounds off. I hear people like just Alex, Alex Six, formerly known as the Lex Man. I can hear people like OTR Central, the Shrek Daddy. I can hear, you know, Jeff Meacham, Aaron Rift, good mic work. I hear, I can all the, I can hear all these people uh, that I follow here on social media on YouTube. And I just had a notification there. Sorry about that, guys. But. Um. I can hear all these people. I mean, I I have heard and can hear a lot of these guys coming out and saying, you know, this is good that they did this. Keep Sasha out for a while. Keep, you know, you can play this up. They should play this up. They will play this up uh, till Royal Rumble. They'll play this up till WrestleMania. Da, 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 da. I hear, I've heard what, like I said, I hear what Salamas is saying. I hear what just Alex is saying. I hear, I could hear. Uh, what JD might say when it comes to this, you know, JD from NY206. I, I hear what, like I said, what I could, no, well, I don't hear, but I can hear eventually what OTR Essential may say about it. I could hear what Good Mike would, could probably say about it. And here's the thing keeping Sasha out for a couple months, at least until maybe Royal Rumble, is a great idea. 
It's terrific. It's perfect. You got a great storyline scenario. You bring her back in the women's Royal Rumble match. She wins it. She automatically gets on the mic and says, I'm coming for you, Bailey, and I'm going to end your reign and your career. That's perfect. Absolutely good storytelling because now you have Bailey realizing that no matter who she faces um, in between Rumble and Mania, Mania or whatever happens, she's a dead man. She's a dead woman pretty much on, on sight. And again, I, I agree, you know, keeping her out long, as long as that is great storytelling because you allow Bailey time to, to, glo- to uh, gloat every time she comes out of she's the one that took out Sasha, you know, you know, she's the one that potentially ended her career. And then you have Sasha come back, win the Rumble and then challenge Bailey uh, for the championship at WrestleMania. Now, they could do that, and like I said, that's a good idea to do. However, however, here's the problem, and this is where I'm probably going to get some flack. Here's the problem. As good as a scenario as that is, keep her out. I mean, I heard what Solomon said. I was listening to his, uh, a clip from his podcast this past Sunday that he uploaded on YouTube today or, or yesterday. And I agree, you know, keep her out and up until rumble or whatever is a great idea. But Jason, with all due respect, man, you, Alex, anybody else that feels that this is the direction they should go in, and perhaps they will, especially if they want to get the ratings up or they want to keep interest in the show, you know as well as I do that's not the case. You guys know as well as I do that Bailey and Sasha is going to happen at Hell in the Cell, and if not Hell in the Cell, it's going to be Survivor Series. And one of those platforms is where Bailey's going to lose the belt, and she will never have it again. You know why? Because that SmackDown championship will be the one individual championship that Sasha wins. That when she defends it, ends it against Bailey in a rematch, she's going to retain, and she's going to break the curse. Because I want you guys to think about this. When Sasha was a fi- how many I want you guys to think about this. When you look at NXT in her reigns down there, in her reign as champion down there, and then you look at Raw, what's the big difference? When she was the NXT women's champ, she successfully defended her title. When she's on Raw, she wins the belt, then she loses it. No successful title defenses. I believe SmackDown is gonna be where she breaks the curse and she's gonna break it. By October or November. Not only is she going to win the belt, but she's going to end up successfully defending it. SmackDown is going to be the Sasha show. You know it, and I know it. I mean, I, I again, I understand. I understand how fan, how legitimate hardcore fans or analyst fans like those I follow I understand how they feel like, oh, they need to do this. It'll work better. It'll be better if they do it this way. It'll get more attention. Da, 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 da. I, I, I get that. I, I understand that. But what you guys don't understand, and you should, and you probably are thinking about this, is, well, this is WWE we're talking about. Okay. This is WWE we're talking about. They're not just going to, you know, let this simmer 
for so long, especially now you're in the fall season, you're going up against the NFL. You know they're not going to let this just simmer and build for the next several months. No, this this part of the year is ratings year. This is the, you know, everybody's saying May is ratings month. Is the ratings month in the spring? The fall is the ratings half of the year. And you can't tell me that the WWE is just going to say, you know what, we'll, we'll just wait on uh, on this until Rumble. Yeah, we'll just wait. We'll just feed uh, Naomi and we'll just feed Mandy da, 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 to Bailey. You know they're not going to wait that long. You know that. You know why? Because they have one person in mind for WrestleMania's main event. One person. I'll give you a clue. She's known for a woo. That's right. They're not going to hold off on Bailey and Sasha to Mania. No. They're going to have Sasha be Bailey. They're going to have Charlotte come back. They're going to have Sasha be the heel. They're going to have. They're going to have Charlotte be the heel, and they're going to have Sasha be the babyface. And you're going to have them face each other at WrestleMania. You know that as well as I do. Now you might say, well, where does that put Bailey? Real simple. Bailey's going to be on Raw. Hear me out. You see, there's word going around that there's a draft potentially happening, right? But we just don't know when. So what if Bailey, so what if it's discussed that Bailey. Goes to Raw. Hmm? What if it's discussed that Bailey has done all she can on SmackDown? Hold on for a sec. Just checking something, guys. But like I said, let's say the decision is made that Bailey has done. Everything they could, or everything she can on SmackDown, now they want to send over to Raw. I would not be surprised if they do that. And that could set Bailey up for a shot at the Raw Women's title at WrestleMania. Or even make, or even have Bailey go in as the Raw Women's Champion. Think about that. Think about it. I mean, it it makes sense. It makes sense in my opinion. I mean, I, I get I get some people may not agree with it, and that's fine. You say I, I get that some people may not agree with it. And that's perfectly fine, but honestly, honestly, guys, hold on for a second again.
Sorry about that, guys. Let's just check into it again. What was it? Oh, yeah. You can't tell me that they're not thinking about thinking about that right now. I mean, with the word going around that a draft is going to happen, who's to say Bailey won't go to Raw? And who's to say they won't do the draft maybe after Hell in a Cell or Survivor Series to freshen things up going into Mania? I'm just saying. So, honestly, for those of you that think that they're going to hold off on Sasha and Bailey all the way to WrestleMania, <laughs> uh, you guys got another thing coming because, again, you guys know this is WWE we're talking about. And when they want to pull the trigger on something, they're going to pull the trigger on something. If they want to pull the trigger like right now on Sasha and Bailey, you know, in time for Hell in the Cell and Survivor Series, they're going to do it because they, like I said, they know they're going to go through with because if they go through, because they know that if they go through with this draft and they decide, okay, Bailey's done what she could on SmackDown, so let's send her to Raw and have a repeat of success there, they're going to do it. They'll do it. And thus you open the door for Sasha to remain on SmackDown as the women's champ and all new challenges for her, all new opponents. You know, like I said, you could have have her in Charlotte again, and but we haven't had that kind of one-on-one match in a while, and putting it on something like SmackDown would work. So, again, I, I understand some people some people hope WWE will make the right decision and keep keep Sasha off for, for some time, and I'm totally with you on that. I really am, but honestly, guys, I just don't see it happening. And I think Alex knows this. I think Jason knows this. I think the Slag Daddy is going to confirm this. I know Greg Morgan of Good Mike Works is going to do this. Is going to say something. I know JD will say if not what he has said something about it. You know, they really, look, it's, again, I'm not saying WWE won't try for this. But if they want ratings on Fox, if Fox wants those ratings, and you're going into potentially a very competitive part of the year ratings-wise, then you know they're not going to wait that long. Here's what I think is going to happen. The scenario is they'll have Bailey against Naomi. She'll beat Naomi. And then when it looks like she's about to do the same thing to Naomi that she did to Sasha, Sasha's music is going to hit. Sasha's going to come down or either come out of the crowd or come out of the virtual crowd or whatever and beat the snot out of her. She's going to beat the snot out of her. And then basically that sets up hell in a cell, inside hell in a cell, however they get it constructed in there. And you're going to get the match we've been waiting for. And we all know the reason, or we all know the storyline and reason why, you know, Bailey, um, uh, what, what was I looking at? What was I saying? We all know the reason they're going to reveal about why Bailey has done what she did or has been acting the way she has over the past year. It's because she doesn't want to be irrelevant. She's afraid that if she loses her belt, it's going to be like, oh, there's Sasha Banks and uh, oh, there's Bailey. That's what she's afraid of. She's going to be back in the shadows. That's what they're leading at. And it's obvious to anybody. It's obvious to anybody. So I don't think they're going to wait. So honestly, even though they could wait, I don't think they're going to wait. I think, I believe, along with everybody else, they may or may not agree with this, they're going to pull the trigger on this match in time for Hell in the Cell and Survivor Series. Because if you're going to do a draft, and it's the potential they could send Bailey to Raw because she's done everything she can on SmackDown, then 
you know, they then there you go. There you go. I mean, like I said, I know some people may not like to hear that. I understand that. But I think it's very obvious. So I think, honestly, I think that's how far it's going to go. They want to hold off to Mania or at least Rumble. Hey, great. Big crowd, bigger reaction. Perfect. Perfect. Perfect atmosphere. But they're not going to. They're not going to. You know it as well as I do. I mean, you can have Naomi. You can have Charlotte come and you know, confront Bailey over what she did, and then that leads into a series of title matches for the next few months. Okay, fine. You know, okay, fine. That That's great. And that gives you time to bring Sasha back and put her into that headlining WrestleMania match against Bailey. No problem. Great. Perfect. Problem is they're not going to wait that long. They're not. And if you got a draft coming up, you know they ain't going to wait long, period. So I believe the Sasha Bailey storyline, it's going to culminate in, around October and November. And then we're going to get a draft potentially if they're still doing it. And Bailey's going to end up on Raw. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. All right. All right, so next up. Next up, second topic in the wrestling portion of this Topics on My Mind special edition. We're going to talk about the retribution angle moving primarily over to Raw for now. And when will we see them unmask? Okay, in case you guys don't know, this whole retribution stable angle um, going against the system, being rebellious, wanting to take down the higher-ups, mostly the higher power, Vince McMahon and all that, being, you know, basically wanting to get back for being cast aside during these times. Um, it originally was on both shows, originally. It was, of course, both SmackDown and Raw. As a matter of fact, one of the biggest ch- moments they made was the second time around, was the second appearance, which was on SmackDown, and they basically caused a ruckus. They destroyed the set and everything. But now, apparently, they've been moved primarily over to Raw. Now, I don't know if maybe this is to get attention on Raw or what's going on, or it's just because now they got Roman Reigns back on SmackDown, they don't need Retribution on there as well. I honestly don't know. Um, but honest, but here's the thing, and I'll be back right there. Just checking on my dog there. She was in my mom's room. But anyway, uh, this retribution angle. This retribution angle, like I said, was moved primarily over to Raw for now. And again, as I was saying, they used to be across both shows, causing chaos and everything. In fact, the most significant moment they had, as I mentioned, was the second appearance in the WWE on SmackDown where they destroyed everything. They pulled a Nexus, if you will, from 2010. They pulled a Nexus and basically destroyed everything around them. Well, I don't know if it's because the higher-ups at Fox didn't like the fact that 
a lot of people were making the comparison to the uh, terrorist group Afita, Afita, I think, or or the fact, and I think it's primarily one of the other reasons, you know, they got Roman Reigns back to be their top star. Whatever it is, they decided to move Retribution over to Raw for the time being. And, and the reason I say the time being is because you know they're building up to a big match, probably a Survivor Series of Retribution versus Team WWE. So come October, November, they're going to have to have Retribution going back to SmackDown, going back and forth between SmackDown and Raw once again, so you could build up to uh, Retribution versus Team WWE. You know that's going to happen. You might even have them invade NXT to um, to really further the plot, to really further the story, further the plot, and kind of build up a Team WWE that comprises of members of all three brands. So it it's going to be really intriguing. To it's going to be. I know I use that word a lot, but it's going to be um, interesting how they get to that point, but. Like I said, right now they're primarily on Raw, uh, but I don't think it's going to be for long. I think Retribution will go; will, they'll go back to having Retribution bouncing back and forth between both brands. Maybe even, you know, show up in NXT to, like I said, build up to the inevitable to build up to the inevitable uh, Retribution versus Team WWE match at Survivor Series. Now, as far as as when we will see them unmasked, I think. The closer we get to Survivor Series in an inevitable matchup, that's when we'll start seeing them slowly unmask and uh, reveal who they are. Of course, storyline-wise, you know it's going to really connect with certain stars already on Raw and SmackDown. Like, rumor is Mia Yim is one of the members of Retribution, so you know that her on-screen friendship with Keith Lee might be infected by affected by this, and he might wonder why she's doing this. So it's going to be... I think it's going to be, um, honestly, this might be a very uh, fun time if you're not just a casual uh, viewer of WWE, but a regular viewer. I think it's going to be a very fun time for you because, you know, even though some people might say there's comparisons to aces and eights and everything, because when you think about it, Bruce Pritchard, what, Bruce Pritchard was part of TNA, I believe, at the time when aces and eights was around, so this is very similar. Um so don't be surprised that as we get closer to Survivor Series, just like they got close closer to Bound for Glory, you know, don't be surprised if Aces and not Aces and Aces, but uh, Retribution starts to unmask or get unmasked, and we start seeing who it is behind there as we get towards Survivor Series. Um, but yeah, I think honestly, the Retribution angle being moved primarily over to Raw for now, for the time being, I think it's only short term. Uh, I think that as we get closer to Survivor Series, you're going to start seeing Retribution infiltrate both, not just Raw, but both Raw and SmackDown and probably NXT. I can see them doing that to, like I said, build up the fact that this Retribution stable is indeed a threat to all of WWE. And that by having them infiltrate not just Raw, but SmackDown and possibly NXT, you allow the WWE to build up a team comprising of the best men and women of all three brands to go up against uh, Retribution. So, so yeah, I think, honestly, it's going to culminate at Survivor Series. And I think as we build towards Survivor Series, 
we're going to see uh, retribution uh, on mask uh, or be on mask as we get closer uh, to that event. But right now they're primarily on raw, but expect them to go back and forth between raw and SmackDown and maybe even infiltrate NXT as we get closer to survivor series in the next few months and expect the unmasking of some of these members to happen during that time as well. That's just how I'm seeing it. Okay, so number three. Let's get on to our number three topic of the wrestling portion of this. And our number three topic is Contra Unit of MLW, Major League Wrestling, probably being one of the best stables in wrestling right now, and why? Well, excuse me there. Well, let me explain why. Now, for a lot of us, a majority of us, uh, we could only watch MLW on YouTube and even Fight TV. Excuse me that. For a lot of us, the primary way to watch Major League Wrestling is on YouTube or Fight TV. Not a lot of us have being sports. We used to here with Xfinity, but not anymore. So the only way we could watch it is through YouTube and Fight TV. And to me... I hate to say this, I think one of the best parts of MLW, if not one of the best things in wrestling right now, whether you're a major company or a mid-major company or up-and-coming company or whatever, I think one of the ma- I think one of the best factions right now in wrestling is Contra Unit. The reason I say that is they just feel it's just when you watch what they do, they feel legit. They feel they feel legit. They feel like a real threat. You believe every word that comes out of their mouth. And they have a ch- and they have a member who is not only the MLW world champion, but no matter who you throw at him, a majority of the time, without interference, he beats that person. He beats them. I mean, he beat Tom Lawler to win the championship basically squashed him, if you will. And as far as we know right now, even though they're on hiatus, but they're planning to come back in a few months, their member, the Contra Unit member, Jacob Fatu, who's part of the Samoan dynasty, Samoan family, which, of course, Roman Reigns is part of, uh, Jacob Fatu is the longest reigning MLW champion they've had, as far as I know. He's held that title for over a year, almost two years. This guy, again, and this is the guy that no matter who you put in front of him, the majority of the time without interference, he'll beat. And like I said, the way they come off, it's like you, you ask yourself, why can't any other company have a stable like this? Why can't any other company have a faction like this where they feel like they're a real threat? Not just, not just to certain primary baby faces, but to everybody, because from what I have seen on MLW, maybe I'm wrong, Contra Unit has gone after everyone, babyface and heel. So, you know, a lot of people will look at a, a group like Contra Unit and be like, why can't we have a group like that in, our, in some of the major companies like WWE or AEW or Impact? Why can't we have that kind of a group where they feel legitimate, where they feel like a real threat? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, 
it to me when you look at a faction like contra unit that's money on the table that's money just ready to be printed and printed and printed over and over and over again that is money that is money in the bank and mlw to me has a gold mine and if mlw gets a bigger television or network deal in the future whether it's with showtime or a syndicated network or a major cable affiliate that everybody that will allow everybody and i mean everybody to watch mlw the moment they see contra units show up and be and be a uh, showcase as they are and even given a backstory on who they are you got viewership up to wazoo if you know what i mean and like I said, they are presented in a way that makes them feel legitimate. They are. It makes them feel legitimate. I mean, you look at one of the mem- one of the members is Simon Gotch, the former Simon Grimm of the vaudeville of, of the of the vaudevillains in WWE and NXT. The former Simon Grimm, Simon Gotch, if you will, is more of a threat now with his association with Contra unit. Yes. He's looked at sometimes as the weak link in my opinion, or will be, but basically he is treated more seriously and as a threat than he ever was with the VOD villains or in WWE period. And I think everybody watching this knows. And I believe anybody that watches this, that follows MLW knows this. They know it. They know it. So to me, in my opinion, Contra Unit, just by what I've said, and if you've not seen what the who they are, go to Major League Wrestling on YouTube, check out one of the videos which is ba- which is centered around Contra Unit, and see what I'm talking about. See what I mean, and you will see why they are, in my opinion, one of the best stables and factions of wrestling right now, and why I believe, why I believe that if sometime in the future. You have all three members be released from MLW. To me, you have to keep them together. No matter where they go, if you're AEW, WWE, Impact Wrestling, PWG, whatever, New Japan, wherever, keep these three together. Sign all three of them. Let them come in as Contra Unit or under a name that's, or a different name that basically is identical to Contra Unit and let them continue being that threat. Let them continue being treated like that legitimate threat that they are in MLW. I mean, the fact, the way they ended the tapings of MLW before going into hiatus because of this pandemic was on a cliffhanger with Contra Unit taking over the MLW headquarters. I, I can't under, to me, if that doesn't showcase how much of a threat how much of a threat, legitimately, in story, and believably, in story, a stable like Contra Unit is, I don't know what does. So to me, Contra Unit right now is one of the best stables in wrestling. And again, if you haven't seen who they are, you haven't watched any of this stuff, go to Major League Wrestling on YouTube right now, MLW, on YouTube, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You will see exactly Exactly what I'm talking about, guys. So 
That's all I can say about that. But yeah, in my opinion, Country Union, heel group or not, is one of the best stables today. And you know what? Honestly, honestly, maybe it's just me when I was viewing it. But Contra Unit looked like they were winning the fans over. It looked like they were winning the fans over. And by and when you win the fans over, inten- unintentionally or not, you end up turning your major heel faction into baby faces or tweeners. And that's, and that's something that you rarely see nowadays in wrestling. So to me, because of that too alone, Contra Unit is one of the best stables going today. And again, you need to check out you know, their stuff. Go to MLW on YouTube. Check out their stuff. You will see exactly what I am talking about. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about, folks. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, so I'll be right back, guys. I'm going to go check some. I'll be right back.
Hey guys, I'm back. I just had to go take care of something there. But anyway, like I said, you know, check out Contra Unit stuff on on uh, MLW YouTube on MLW's uh, YouTube page. It is worth watching. You will see exactly, in my opinion, why they're one of the best out there today, stable, faction-wise, no matter how large your wrestling company um, is. All right, so number four, and speaking of MLW, this is an interesting um, topic to, t- to ask and talk about. And that is, will the Dynasty stable show up in AEW soon to aid MJF? Okay, so in case you guys don't know who the Dynasty is, again, check out MLW. They are one of the, I wouldn't say, well, they used to be, but then Contra Unit took that over. But they are one of the more influential heel stables out there, if not one of the most hated. Um, when it comes to MLW and even outside of MLW. But the one thing that's always been on my mind, especially since M- MJF uh, got a cha- got a shot at the uh, championship, the AEW championship, the one thing that's always been on my mind was, will we see the Dynasty show up? Because right now, with MLW just barely getting ready to start back up in, well, what, a, with the uh, end of the month into November or something like that around between this month and November. The thing is, we don't know if the dynasty is still going to be a major factor. Um, I would assume they are, you know, have had enough time off. So I'm assuming they'll still be a major factor, but again, we don't know. Uh, in my opinion, though, in my opinion, I think, the dynasty's time in major league wrestling is even after they come back is short lived. I really do. I think honestly, you know, I like MLW. I like what they present sometimes. I like them being like the ECW of, well, one of the ECW like uh, promotions outside of AEW impact and, um, and WWE. I mean, they're kind of like this. The way I look at the way I look at MLW is, you have WWE, you have AEW, like the WCW, you have Impact, kind of being the Ring of Honor, if you will, and then you have ring. Well, this is what I look at: you have WWE, you have AEW, you have Impact and Ring of Honor, you have NWA. Then you have Major League Wrestling. I look at Major League Wrestling as being like, kind of like the uh, the rebel of professional wrestling right now. The basically the hybrider. Like, oh, we'll do wrestling. We'll do MMA, shoot fighting, and oh, by the way, we'll also do hardcore. Anyway, like I said, uh, the Dynasty was a major is a major influential heel stable there. Not maybe not as big. As they used to be, because like I said, Contra Unit took that one, took that top spot. But I think the Dynasty, their time in AEW, uh, not AEW, but MLW, I think their time in MLW is coming to an end. Because even after MLW starts getting back up and doing the tapings again, I think financially you got Alexander Hammerstone, Richard Holiday, and whatever his other name was, the newest member. I think their time in that company is is done. 
I think, I think at the beginning of next year, maybe even at the end of this year, expect the dynasty to show up in AEW. Not all at once, but one by one. Expect Holiday to show up as a surprise. I mean, as a, a, what I'm trying to say is expect Richard Holiday to show up to support MJF. Expect Hammerstone to show up to be a major hitter for him. And expect this other guy to show up as well uh, to aid MJF. So to me, I see the dynasty showing up in AEW at the beginning of 2021 and if not at the end of this year. Why? Here's the reason why. You have MJF lose to John Moxley. You have MJF probably getting ready to split with Waldo. So what better replacements, and I said replacements, for Waldo and even the law- lawyer, Mark Sterling, what better replacements than to bring in your old friends from Major League Wrestling. And I think if you put MJF with the dynasty in AEW, you will have the group that has been needed. You you won't have you will have your legitimate stable of dominance, in my opinion. I, I'm not lying there. You could have your elite horsemen, which obviously they're building towards. You can have your inner circle. You can have your nightmare family. You can have your elite. But in my opinion, my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, I think this is just, again, just my opinion. I think the dynasty, if you allow, if Richard Holiday, Alexander Hammerstone, and whatever his other name was, is able to part ways mutually with MLW before the year's out or at the beginning of next year, you bring them in to be part of MJF's group or to be part of, be part of a stable with MJF. And you will have well, not one of the more successful stables in AEW, but you will have one of the more despised stables because you will have every fan on a national level that already knows who they are from MLW. You will have every fan wanting to see them get their ass kicked. And not just by a baby faith group or anything like that, but by everybody. But by everybody. You will, you will have people wanting to see them get their ass handed to them on a silver platter. And that, to me, is a recipe for success. A recipe for success. And Tony Khan, if he wants AEW to be watched and be viewed and talked about a lot more than it already is, you get Richard Holiday, you get Alexander Hammerstone, you get that other guy, you bring him in, you have him associated with MJF and maybe replace Waldo because if they start splitting them up, up, up you're going to, like I said, need somebody to you know replace that guy or several people, then this is the best choice. This is the best option in my opinion. So, yes. Will we see the Dynasty stable show up in AEW soon to aid MJF? Absolutely. I don't think there's any way getting around it. You will see them show up soon. You will see them associate with Maxwell. And you will see one of the more successful and despised groups start 
succeeding in AEW. And by doing that, you will have people tuning in every Wednesday night, depending on if they stay on Wednesday nights, but every Wednesday night to see, to see that group get the comeuppance. To me, to me, it's a win-win. To me, it is a win-win scenario. And I think any wrestling fan that watches this right now or even listens to it later on knows, knows that I'm right. They know I'm onto something. So, to me, to me, I definitely believe the Dynasty will show up in AEW, and they will aid MJF. They may have to go to, under a different name similar to it, but I think they're going to show up, and it's going to be soon. Just, just keep watching. Keep watching. It's going to be soon. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Because, again, if you want... All the other stables, including the Dark Order, to get over with the fans, bring in a stable, associate them with one of the more despised human beings on the roster, instant magic. Instant magic, it works. And you know what, Alex, if you're watching this or listening to this, I think you would agree. And again, just like with Contra Unit, you want to know who the dynasty is? Check out MLW on YouTube. You'll see exactly what they're about. You'll see exactly what they're about. Okay. So with that said. So with that said. We're about 70 minutes in. Time to talk about animation. And we're going to talk about animation for topics there. And I'll be right back. Kind of take a little bit of a BRB break, but I'll be right back, guys.
Okay, guys, I'm back for the second half of this as we go into the animation topics now. And the first animation topic we're going to talk about is will we see the lustful milk gag in the new Animaniacs reboot when it debuts in November? Now, in case you guys have watched my or haven't watched my uh, channel for a while, uh, basically, you want basically what the lustful milk gag is, and and I've talked about this many times, and you can look it up on TV tropes. But basically, it's a gag where a male or a female gets so attracted, so hot under the collar, so amored, uh, uh, amored, if you will, amored uh, with an individual that they melt into a puddle of goop. Sometimes they melt into a partial puddle where like the head is just sticking up a little bit and they're still able to uh, communicate. Sometimes it's halfway to where uh, you know, they're just like a stump a little bit, but they're still able to talk. But most times they melt to the point that they become a complete puddle. Whether it's a complete one colored like puddle that you would step on in the rain, you know, that's caught that you would step on step on because it's caused by the rain. Or it would be a multicolored like cream like puddle that you could easily just pick up with your hands or something like that. And uh, that's basically what it is. And the reason I mention it in those in those manners is because Animani the original Animaniacs has done it. Tiny Toons and Inspired Animaniacs or Animaniacs, Animaniacs spun from, in my opinion, has done it. Basically, the character would turn it, would basically get so amored, amored or attracted or whatever that they would become a puddle of goop. And there were times on occasions in both shows where a character would do this and another character has to pick them up and literally, you know, restore them. Like uh, in Tiny Toons, you had uh, in the in the episode, the Acme Bowl, you had Plucky do this and you had uh, a character called Roderick Rat literally use a, a cup, if you will, usually you literally use a cup and just, you know, scoop them out of the jacuzzi pool. And pour them out and restore them. Uh, Animaniacs did the same thing as well with, of course, Minerva Mink. And what happened is the second time she saw Wilford in his Fabio werewolf form, she melted into a creamy puddle. And he picked her up like a wet towel, wringed her out like this, is, and restored her. Bas because basically, as I like to joke a little bit... Um, if they wanted to, he could have just left her like that, walked away, went to go get something to eat, get a movie, whatever, you know, take a dip in the pool and a uh, dip in the lake and, a, you know, get the attention of all the other female animals or whatever. And then come back about an hour or two later and Minerva would still be in that melted state. So <laughs> stuff like that. And they've had it continue throughout many shows as well um, in, in the uh, past several years. They've had it happen in the, the uh, animated live-action hybrid series Groove High. They've had it happen, um, and it happened to one of the main characters, Zoe. Uh, they've had it happen in uh, Captain Flamingo to the main female character there. Um, they've had it happen several times. I'll put it that way. And... Um, and it's basically, 
what it is is a visual gag. It's a visual representation to have a uh, how a woman in real life feels being attracted to another uh, another individual, whether it's a male or in this case another female. It's a visual aid of showing how a female feels sometimes. So that's why that's why it's dubbed that way. A uh, in animation because you're visually seeing how that woman feels. And again, I go back to a, a moment, a scene in the sitcom Major Dad, where the wife of the Major Dad character said, well, they were trying to kind of like get cozy and make out on the bed during a getaway. And she said she felt like she was melting. And again, even though she physically didn't, even though she, le- even though she legitimately didn't, because it's live action, again, it was a metaphor. It was a metaphor. I should say, and uh, that's what the lustful male gag is. It's a visual metaphor of how a female character or a male character feels. So, again, will we see that gag show up in the Animatix reboot when it debuts in November? Well, if you're going to have a ton of episodes just be available right off the bat on Hulu, I'd have to say, yeah. I'd have to say there's no... I, I put it this way. I don't think there's any way around it I'd have to say there's no. I have to say there's no any way around it that you're going to have to include that gag in uh, in the reboot within the first thirteen episodes to really not only not only give a familiarity to the original fans and to fans to old school fans of the original show, I should say, but also kind of establish what kind of gags you know everybody can expect um, in the show. So, so yeah, basically, I truly believe it's going to, I truly believe upon the debut that in any one of those 13 episodes, you're going to see it. You're going to, and I was just trying to correct something there on the descriptions. Uh, but anyway, I believe you're going to see it. I think, honestly, I think, honestly, you will you will see it show up um, in, in the series in the first 13 episodes. How it's done, who does it, does it, and all that's another question. If it's Dot, Dot Warner that does it, then that's not going to be a surprise because she did it in the uh, 11 minute short space probe. So it would not be a surprise if they had her do it. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if they had slappy slappy squirrels coming back. Heck we've always thought, well, well, if there's any kind of character that should, you know, should do it maybe just out of, out of just unexpectedness, it should be slappy. So who's to say she won't do it. That, that potentially could happen. We do know that there are going to be new characters. So who's to say one of the newer characters, female or male, won't do it? I mean, I've said it before. If we're going to have a new character, if there's not going to be any Minerva Mink or Hello Nurse, then you need a character in there that's kind of like a um, toned down or subtle version of who Minerva is and or who Minerva was basically making a more P not a much of a PC version, but more of a kind of like subtle 
nod to Minerva, a similar character, basically. So if you're going to have a similar character to her be introduced in the new reboot, then she's got to be the one that does it, right? It's just my opinion. But honestly, I think we will see the Lustful Milk Cake show up in a new reboot. I think we will show, I think it will show up in the first 13 episodes when they debut in November. Again, though, it's going to be a question of who does, of, of who the creators, who the writing staff um, picks to, to uh, basically give that gag to. Is it, like I said, is it going to be the Warner, one of the Warner siblings, like Yakko, Wacko, or even Dot? Is it going to be Pinky or the Brain? Who knows? Is it going to be Slappy Squirrel? Who knows? Is it going to be new characters similar to old characters or identical to old characters? Like like I said, new characters similar and identical to Minerva? Who knows? But it's going to be interesting to see exactly where and when it happens. Because like I said, if you want to kind of reestablish yourself with the older fans and say, hey, it's new. This is a new reboot. These are new characters along with the origi- some of the original characters. But hey, we're going to also, but hey, we're going to include gags, eggs as you used to see them in the original. I think the lustful milk egg is one of the directions to go in, in my opinion. So again, it's just a, to me, it's just a matter of who they get to do it, and uh, wh- you know what episode is it going to happen in? Is it going to happen in the first? Is it going to happen in the middle? Is it going to happen in the thirteenth episode or the first half of the reboot? Who knows? Uh, but I would, I have an honest opinion, but I have an honest opinion that I think, well, in my honest opinion, I should say not I have, but in my honest opinion, uh, I, I think we're going to get it. I really do. I think we're going to get it and it will be in the thir- first 13 episodes. Where in the first 13? Who knows? Who are they going to have it done to? Who knows? But I know we're going to get it and I think it will show up. And as the series progresses into the next season, I think we'll see it even more so. I think, honestly, this is my opinion. I believe, honestly, um, I believe, honestly, just in my opinion, I think, honestly, we'll see the lustful milk gag. We'll see the lustful milk gag more so in the Animaniacs reboot than we've ever seen it before. I really do. So, yeah, so honestly, I think we, so honestly, I believe we will see it. I believe we will see it when the show debuts in November. Um, it's just you know, like a matter of what episode it's going to be in, but we will, I have a feeling we will see it. I really do. All right. So second topic we're going to talk about. Second topic we're going to talk about. What are the plans of team season when it comes to the animate, to their animated continuation of Sonic Saturday Am? Okay, so in case you guys may not know about what I'm talking about, Team Season is a group of people that have come together, a group of fans that have come together, gotten, have basically, they've come together financially, have tried to, uh, have financially have done what they could to get the resources they needed to basically give us fellow fans something that we've been waiting for for over 25 years. And that's a proper continuation, animated continuation of the series and mostly give us that long lost season three. Uh, The reason for this, 
as many uh, as many of you may may uh, may or may or may not know. Uh, may or may not know. Uh, basically, uh, basically, uh, the series, the original series. Like I said, the original series ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, basically, it ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, it didn't, you know, get a proper season three, even though one was planned. And, you know, it's just taken off the air. And mostly because, from what I understand, it was ratings losing to, pow- to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And the other was the fact that, you know, there was a behind-the-scenes change over at ABC. And according to the late Ben Hurst, there was a saying going around that he heard called, Chukalay down, a new broom sweeps clean. So basically anything that they didn't want on the slate or they felt worthy of being on the slate, uh, basically they got rid of. You know, they, they, they got rid of it. So that's where um, Sat AM suffered a, a major a major fall. Basically, it didn't, you know, it, it didn't basically, it didn't get uh, basically the support to continue with the third season. And Ben Hurst has gone on record saying he's had a lot planned for a third season. He was going to... Um, you know, have tails come into more power, come into a new power. He was going to have a new love interest for Sally to keep Pete against Sonic, you know, all that kind of stuff. And basically never got a chance to, to do that. So what happened was the series was just canceled. Now, Ben Hurst did his best to shop it around, to shop around an idea of continuing uh, season three or getting season three going in some capacity, even through movie formats or even through a movie format, if you will, but nothing came of it. And um, so, yeah, unfortunately, even before his passing, he could not get uh, season three continued. Well, that's where team season comes into play because they're basically like, look, we're going to continue this. We're going to make it happen. Uh, they originally started by continuing the Saturday M show through a web comic, which you can find at um, Fans United for Saturday M on you know here on the web. They continued it through a web comic, and that was basically enough of a foundation for them to say, you know what, we've done the web comic. Now we're going to take it a step further. We're going to do the animation, and like I said, they pulled out a lot of resources. They've gotten in contact with people to you know, help them bring this to life. They've even gotten in contact with some people that have worked on the show to put, to supply some uh, music, some artwork. You know, they've gotten in contact with some of the right uh, people in the business uh, that, uh, in well, yeah, in the business to basically make this happen. Now, as far as I know that, as far as I know, the plan is to release it uh, on uh, on the internet, of course. Uh, right now, the plan is to get it out on YouTube, because you know if the because if it's a success on YouTube, the 
you know, there might be a chance that maybe Sega will, you know, get it'll get Sega's attention and, you know, maybe that'll get, net, uh, you know, a platform like like Netflix and um, Hulu and whoever else to look into it for future dis- for future distribution. Easy for me to say. For future distribution. So. So, yeah, it honestly, you know, that that's basically what team season is doing. And that's what the plans are. The plans are basically to continue the. Uh, the show continue continue Sonic Steady M, continue it uh, in the way that hopefully in their in their minds, Ben Hurst intended it to be continued, and basically go from there. And like I said, I think the plan I think one of the plans um, is to um, eventually uh, get this on uh, is to get the first episode on YouTube. And then if it's a success, it gets momentum. Hopefully, maybe it gets the attention of Sega. And Sega's like, okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll put this out there you know, for, uh, for people to see. We'll put this out there for people to see on a bigger platform, whether that's Netflix, Hulu, maybe Disney+. Plus. Who knows? But, yeah, basically, that's the plan by uh, Team Season. That's what they want to do. And I think they're off to a good start. They've already supplied. They've already supplied us with uh, plenty of sneak peeks, behind-the-scenes stuff. They've even brought out a few animated clips, you know, finished animated clips to kind of give us an idea of what we're in store for. And some of them look right on, spot looks spot on to what you saw in the series. So, in the original animated series, so. You know, so they're on the right track right now. They do, like I said, release working. They do release a lot of stuff to kind of give us an idea of what the progress is. Uh, they release uh, work in progress scenes. So, you know, look, like I said, it looks like they're on the right track. And I cannot wait, honestly, as a fan that's been a fan, as someone that's been a fan of Sonic Sadiam for for as long as I have. As a matter of fact, I have the uh, poster or post I I made of the cover of the complete series DVD set. I'm looking at it right now. Um, I cannot wait to, um, you know, I cannot wait to see this, uh, see the finished product, or at least see the fin- first uh, finalized episode when it comes out, or when they get ready to release it, because it will be, I believe, worth. It'll be definitely worth the time and effort to watch because they're putting a lot of time into this. You know, with everything going on right now, I don't know if it's giving them more time to really get it done. But yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a great thing. I think it's going to be really good. I think it's going to be a really good and great thing that they're going to, uh, they're going to be able to share with us, you know, in the near future. And I cannot wait to to see where they go from here. Um, again, I think one of the major plans, in my opinion, that they hope hope to accomplish. One of the goals that is, is that if the first episode is a big enough success and a big enough hit on YouTube or wherever they put it, then it gets the attention of Sega and Sega realizes, okay, maybe there is something to this. Let's let's help them out. Let's get it distributed out there, but on a bigger platform. Like Netflix could be the distributor or Amazon Prime could be the distributor or wherever. So or even Disney Plus or Hulu. So who knows? But yeah. But yeah, that is basically the plan. The plan is to basically finish the third season, you know, get it finished, get it out there. And if that's all they do, 
then that's the then that's better than nothing. And I, and I think honestly that's their main goal. If they're able to, you know, get season three out there, you know, get all the episodes they need complete and everything, and it becomes a success, they get more help, they get more backing, whatever. Then, you know, than they have now, and like I said, and you know, they're able to just you know get this whole thing done. That even if it's just this one season and nothing else, I think that's going to be a huge accomplishment for them because basically that's their main goal. Their main goal is to basically finish what Ben Har- what Ben Hurst uh, had started and give the series a proper conclusion, in my opinion. So... That's basically what their plans are when it comes to the animated continuation of Sonic Sat AM to basically get it done or at least get the first episode done, see what the reaction is to it. If it's a big enough hit, hope for the best. You know, hope for the best, maybe get Sega's approval to get it distributed on a bigger platform, get more backing, like I said, financially and all, all that, to where even if it's just this one season that they you know, finish and bring to life. And then that's all that's going to matter to them. Because like I said, what the goal is, in my opinion right now, is to finish what Ben Hurst has started. So with that said, that said, we're going to go on to our third topic and I'll be right back, guys. I'm going to put my uh, <laughs> mug in the sink. My coffee mug, that is. Okay, guys, I'm back. So, getting on to our third topic here. I've talked about this one before. But it's a good legitimate question to still ask. And that is, could the DeviantArt webcomic Mystic Makeover by Mr. Internet Man work as an animated series for a platform like Netflix or Amazon Prime Video? And the reason I bring this up is because if any of you are viewers and fans of Kibo on Netflix, you know that Kibo was originally a webcomic that became such a success that it got the attention of an animation studio and of Netflix. I think of DreamWorks, basically, and Netflix, and they were able to work out a deal to bring that to life. They were able to work out a deal with the creator to bring the stories to life. So... 
Could the same be done with the web comic or web uh, series, if you will, on DeviantArt, Mystic Makeover by Mr. Internet Man? Could the same be done? I think yes. I think, honestly, it can be done. And you know what? You have everything you need right there in those web comics and any other uh, resource you need. And the reason I say that is mainly due to the fact that, yes, you could play it up as a, you can play it up as a mostly an animated comedy and, you know, basically what I'm saying is you can play it up as an animated comedy and show an animated comedy where the unexpected could happen because you never know what's going to happen happen uh, with the characters. But I think you can also play it up for the story it has because it has potential to tell a great story. Basically, in case you, again, in case you guys don't know what Mystic Makeover is, check it out on DeviantArt. Um, but it's a story basically of a college student or a post-grad college student, whatever, called Veronica. And she somehow mysteriously is given this magical lipstick called Nightshade that when she applies it to her lips, she becomes her alter ego, the mischievous demon elf known as Demonica. And by becoming Demonica, she's able to do all kinds of things. She has all kinds of abilities from being able to melt down into a puddle of goop, oop, which apparently is a favorite of hers and some of her friends and story, to being able to become any inanimate object or vehicle, to uh, basically, believe it or not, you know, enveloping people, absorbing people into her body and converting them into a mask just for a short time so they can kind of have a relaxing experience if she's good friends with them or even possessing people just, you know, so they can have a good time. Or one of the major selling points that we've seen over the years, or I've seen over the years, is Demonica's ability to change into other people, other women, mostly alter egos going under the Monica name. And then also by doing so, split herself in half. Well, not split herself in half, but basically, well, yeah, basically in a sense, basically she's able to create multiple versions of herself. Either she... Whether it's just as Demonica herself or it's as the human alter ego Monica, she's able to basically create these different versions of herself. And what's interesting about it is basically she's able to give these new versions of her. Like she could basically transform into a sultry seductress. And then if she feels like, hey, I need some company or I need some company to I need some company for you know for the night or I need to have some company to have some in you know intimate fun if you will she will create duplicates of herself but with different hair colorings or whatever and again what's interesting is when Demonica slash Veronica does this is she's able to give them their own somewhat individual personalities and when you look at the web comics that Mr. Internet Man does, it's just so intriguing and so interesting to see exactly how far he will go uh, with with the character doing things like that as well. And in my opinion, 
it's elements like that. It's elements like that, in my opinion, that really, really contribute to the story, can make a story interesting. And if Mystic Makeover could be done as an animated series, even from a comedic, even from a comedic standpoint, I think one of the one of the uh, more dramatic, one of the more serious portions, because. Yeah, you can have it be an animated comedy, but not all the time. You can have it be in an animated comedy that has some, you know, thought moments, some serious moments, some dramatic moments or whatever, mature moments, if you will. And I think the plot line of, you know, of Veronica possibly losing herself to these multiple personalities because she changes into Demonica and Demonica has these abilities uh, to do it or has the ability to do these things, I think it would be an interesting scenario. I mean, one of the things I think could be done in an animated series based on Mystic Makeover is you could have her, you know, reveal her secret to some of her, some best friends of hers. Some of her best friends, sorry about that, but some of her best friends there or around her that she could trust but you can also have one of those best friends kind of be like the kind that's concerned. Like, you know, she's concerned that she might lose, that Veronica may lose herself if Demonica uh, ends up splitting herself into multiple women again, that there could come a time where, you know, she can't change back or she can't change back to Veronica and Veronica ends up losing herself to these multiple women, you know? You know, it's one of those situations or one of those kind of scenarios. And I and I know some people have said, I know some people might say, well, we've seen that kind of stuff before, Brian. We've seen that kind of stuff before. And, and you're right. You have seen that kind of stuff before. But I think honestly, I think honestly, um, it, it, it's the kind of story, it's the kind of story element or plot twist or plot developments, character developments, story developments, whatever you want to call them, that works. Because you have one character that's trusting her friends with her secret. And you have one of those friends basically kind of be worried and concerned that, hey, you sure this is a good idea? Because, you know, there could be a chance that one of these days you'll do this as Demonica and you may end up losing yourself. And, you know, what's interesting is they could bring up something as well, because one of the things that. Mr. Internet Man has done, and I've mentioned this before, is he introduced a character named Rebecca who has the same abilities, has the, has the same, you know, abil- has the same kind of power given to her where she applies a lipstick and she becomes the demon elf, her version of a demon, mischievous demon elf called Exotica. And there's a webcomic that he did where both of them fused for like the second time, but the second time they fused together they gave way to a more dominant personality called Angela, who is basically very self-absorbent about her, only about herself and this and that, basically very narcissistic as Mr. Internet Man once described her. So you can add in that element as well. You could have the friend, you, you know, once you introduce maybe Rebecca into the story down the line, I'm in a future episode or something like that, you could have the friend basically acknowledge to both Veronica and Rebecca or even Veronica period 
you could have her say, hey, remember when you fused with Rebecca and made yourselves into Angela? You remember how dominant she was and how long it took for you guys to kind of get back to normal or kind of, you know, have the effects of her wear off on you even after you got restored? You know, that's what I, that's what I'm afraid of, that if you allow Demonica or you, you allow yourself Demonica to do that again, you could end up losing yourself and there would be no more Veronica. So I think story elements like that could really, really, in my opinion, you know, take, you know, take the Mystic Makeover series in animated form to an interesting level because you could rely on all the transformations. You could pay homage to all the transformations she goes through, you know, the meltdowns and all that. But to me, the one, and you can keep it primarily as a comedy, but you still need to have those moments in there that are a bit dramatic, a bit serious, and, you know, do uh, give a development to the characters in the story itself as well as the plot. So I think something like that could really benefit uh, an animated version of Mystic Makeover. But do I think it could work as an animated series on a platform like Netflix and, who, and Prime Video, Amazon Prime Video or Hulu or whatever? Yeah, I think it really could. And I think it could work for everything that I just mentioned. I think it could really work. And you know what? It would get people talk. It would get people's interest. It would get their attention. It would get their interest. They'd be like, ooh, what is this? And they'd want to see more of it. So I think, yeah, I think Mystic Makeover could really work as an animated series, which is on Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, wherever. And I think it could work for, like I said, everything that I just mentioned. You keep it, you want to keep it as a comedic animated series, that's fine, but also throw in those elements and give the, give the show a lot of strong development for everything involved, from characters to stories, you name it. You know, and like I said, one of the develop one of the uh, plots you could put in there, or subplots, is a friend being concerned that, you know, Veronica, after she reveals a secret, could lose herself to whatever transformation she puts herself in, mostly when she splits herself into b multiple women. So I think, honestly, that could work, in my opinion. And so, yeah, I do believe Mystic Makeover could work as an animated series on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Will a show like that, that uh, happen? Will a show like that happen? Only time will tell. Only time will tell. But I hope it does. I hope it does. Because if you could take something like Kibo, and you could, which was originally a webcomic, and do an animated series out of it. And if you could do something, and if you could take, uh, create a series called The Midnight Gospel based on a podcast series, anything is possible, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think Mystic Makeover could indeed work. And I'll be right back with the final subject. Okay, guys, back with the final subject here, the final topic. This might be the long portion of it. But what is the, but number four, the final topic in the animation portion of this uh, topics on my mind and overall on this entire topics on my mind 
What are the five best My Little Pony Friendship is Magic episodes of the final season, in my opinion? Now, before I um, answer that, uh, someone by the name of Nathaniel Hansock um, asked me, "Who? what do you think about who will voice the new characters in the Animaniacs reboot? Also, who is your favorite character from Friendship is Magic? Well, the new characters, I think they're going to get they're going to get some stars in there. I think they might get Kristen Wiig maybe for the character that may be similar to Minerva if they have one. And I think, I think they're going to have to get, if he's still, if he's still working, they're, they're going to have to get uh, Jeff Bennett, I think. They got Jim Cummings coming back. So I think Jim Cummings has to voice multiple characters as well. It's kind of it's kind of a toss up. I don't know exactly yet who I think it will be, but I think one of the most definitely you have to bring in is Kristen Wiig. I think you got to bring her back. Bring her. I think Kristen Wiig, Kristen Chenoweth are two of the names I think you need to bring in. And one of them has to voice the, if they have one, the character similar to Minerva. I think that's what they need to do. And as far as who my favorite characters in MLP are. I've talked, I think I did a countdown about this before. You can check it out on my YouTube channel. Um, but honestly, the two characters right off the bat, the top, uh, the top ones are the ones that got me into the series, and that is Luna, and that is Rarity. The ones that come in afterwards: Applejack, Twilight, Celestia. You know, those are the ones. But honestly, I got to go with. If I was to look at a top five character-wise, again, I, did, I think I did a video on that. Check that out. But if I was to look at the characters primarily right now, whether they're the same or not, it's Luna, it's Applejack, it's Rare, it's Luna and Rarity, the ones that got me into the series. And then, of course, Applejack, because of the way she gets portrayed at times, uh, Twilight and Celestia. That's my opinion. So... So anyway, getting on to the final topic here, and that is the five best MLP, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic episodes of the final season, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> a funny story before I get into this. I tried to do this uh, the other day um, with my uh, digital recorder, digital voice recorder. Didn't have the time to do it because by the time I was getting into it, that's when my mom came home from work. I mean, not from work, but from my sister's. So, yeah, I just couldn't, I didn't have a chance to, to do it. So I'm going to do it here. And if I section this off as its own individual clip in the future, um, look forward to that. But in my opinion, Indian, um, these are just five of the best, in my opinion, uh, the final season. Uh, the first one, the first one at number five, um, to me, uh, has to be dragon dropped. I mean, as much of a Sparity fan as I am, which is short for Spike and Rarity, I thought this episode was good. I thought it was funny. Uh, but I will agree with people like Voice of Reason that, you know, the way it portrayed Rarity was not good, if you will. It wasn't really good. But, you know, I think basically when you look at Dragon Drop, and I've talked about this before, I, I believe the creative staff knew what they were doing. They knew that fans supported the ship, but they couldn't just, you know, just – but the thing is they couldn't just outright come out and say, yeah, this is going to finally, you know, settle the love story between the two and it's going to get them together and all that. I think what they did is they worked around it 
and did what they could. I mean, even Despio uh, himself in his uh, at the screening collab with Voice of Reason uh, for this episode and for most of season nine, um, he basically saw it as well. He, he basically saw through the metaphors or metaphors, uh, metaphors, if you will, throughout throughout the episode. He could see exactly what you know the creative staff was alluding to when it came to Rarity and how she was reacting to Spike. Like basically. Basically, Rarity started to realize that, hey, you know, the knight in shining armor she's always wanted, boom, it's been right in front of her the whole time. And now she's at risk of losing him, although she completely misunderstands the fact that, you know, all Spike is doing is just being Spike. He's making a new friend and a friend that he has something in common with. So, yeah, I didn't I will agree that Rarity could have been portrayed better. But to me, I think it was a. I think it was a de- I believe it was a decent send off. It was a decent uh, send off to the the Spike and Rarities to the Spike and Rarity story arc in this uh, in the uh, animated portion of the show. Um, you know, I, I think it I think could have been done better. I think it could have been done a little bit better. I, I mean, obviously, like I said, they don't want to throw in the fact that oh, Rarity is now realizing she's in love with Spike because now he's suddenly going around with this other girl, Gabby, the Griffin. And it's like now suddenly that side of her is like Cupid's all of a sudden going, hitting Rarity right in the heart and making her realize, open your eyes, as Tempest would say, and see what see the knight in shining armor that you might be losing. So, yeah, to, to me, to me, I liked it. I liked the episode. Um, again, it may have not portrayed Rarity at times in the best light. I mean, usually when Spike makes a new friend, Rarity's cool with it. But for some odd reason, it was it was Gabby the Griffin that all of a sudden like made Rarity be like, "Okay, I'm not about to lose this lose this dragon. I'm not about to lose basically her love to someone else." So, so yeah, though I, I liked it, and and I like the fact that it still it still kept the door open for, for Spike and Rarity's parity because the ending is what a lot of people are going to remember. Yeah, they may have not liked, like I said, the way Rarity was portrayed at times. They did appreciate that she did make an effort to make up for what she did. But the ending is what a lot of people, in my, in my opinion, are going to remember because Spike does show up. Easily, because here's the thing. They could have easily ended the episode with Spike and Gabby flying off off and Rarity walking off to the caves or to go get Pinky to go to the caves and all that and that's it you know after the apology and everything but they didn't they basically had Spike show up at the caves kind of uh, explain to Rarity that he and Gabby had a good time but then say the line that he did which is but I'll always want my Rarity time by holding out his hand for her hoof and it's like and it's like if you're you're a fan or kind of in the middle or not a fan you're like, you know, so what are you getting at? You know, what are you trying to say here? Because when you look at Rarity's expression, when he tells tells her that he and Gabby had a good time, it's that same smile she has uh, <laughs> throughout the episode, kind of that almost jealous-like smile. But then when he said, but I always want my Rarity time, it goes into that very sincere smile. And then, of course, you have Pinky say what she, she said to kind of make the illusion of, oh, Okay, there is something there more than friendship now. So, 
So, yeah, um, I, I thought it was good. And again, it does open the door, keeps the door open uh, for Sparity to happen later down the line. And as implied, as much as people may not like to agree with it, it is kind of implied that something did occur between the coronation and uh, the future timeline that we see in Last Problem. So just my opinion. But again, I think Dragon Dropped is a good episode, which is why it's at number five. Number number four. Number four, I have to go with Going to Seed. Number four, I um, like I said, I got to go Going to Seed, which is the last centric Apple Family episode. But I like it because, again, one of the reasons Apple Tech has become a favorite of mine over the past few, year, few years is she is relatable. Applejack, in my opinion, is very relatable. Um, the fact that she doesn't believe in this great seedling, which is kind of like a, I guess you could say an official MLP version of Terendaga, who's also an MLP fan, and Brony, and whose OC is a deer or a reindeer. Excuse me. But yeah, you know, she, but yeah, I, I like this. I like this one because, it, again, Applejack is a very relatable character. I mean, you take a look at how she's portrayed uh, in Main Attraction. You take a look at how she's portrayed in The Perfect Pair. And then you see it here. And it's like, if there's any relatable uh, character that anybody can identify with, it's her. Because a lot of us have gone through life, you know, you know, where we've stopped believing in what we would consider myth and legends. And that the only reason we keep these myth and legends alive is for the kids. But there are times that even the kids, well, not the kids, but, but there are even times where we as adults don't want our kids to believe in such nonsense. And that's what you kind of get with here with Applejack at first to where, you know, because she used to believe in the great seedling to one of her, to she, one of her traps failed and she fell into it. Uh, basically she doesn't want Apple Bloom to have that same disappointment. It isn't until a lot of things start to become unusual where a lot of the apple trees that they're harvesting, the bucking, if you will, for the season are becoming more bare and bare and bare. And you start seeing these patterns of apples lying in the road or in the trail or on the road, in the dirt road, that Applejack starts to get that childlike enthusiasm back of believing once again in the great seedling. And she goes off with Apple Bloom to um, finally try to capture the elusive beast. Um, but yeah, overall, besides that, I liked it. I liked the bonding between Applejack and Apple Bloom. I thought it was nice and sweet. I like the inclusion of Goldie Delicious. I like how her and Granny Smith kind of um, would poke the bear a little. Well, not poke the bear, but basically would keep playing up the fact that all these, the reason the apple trees are suddenly becoming so bare and everything is, is mostly because of this mythical creature. So I like it. I really, I like that. I really do. And again, it, the bonding between the sisters is great. Big Mac's a great has, is great in this episode too because you got to feel sorry for the guy. Uh, it's like he feels like he's doing all the hard work, and then you find out in the end that he himself is actually the great seedling, but it's not by purpose; it's by uh, unintentionalness because he's harvesting in his sleep. 
He's working so hard, he's barely getting any sleep. And when he does, he just gets up automatically in his sleep and starts harvesting, starts bucking all the apple trees and all the apple coming loose and all that. So, so yeah, you know, he's, he's great in this episode. Um, but overall, um, it's, to me, it's just a fun episode. I just, I like it. I like the bond. Like I said, I like the bonding between the sisters and it's, it's really good. I think it's really good. And again, it's a great, it's a great conclusion. It's a great final Apple family centric episode, in my opinion. So yeah, number four to me, going to seed, going to seed. All right, number three. Number three, in my opinion, has to be episode 200, Sparkle 7. What more can you say about this episode except it was fun from beginning to end? It was just great. Um, I like how the characters were portrayed. I like the sibling. I like the... I like the building of the uh, sibling history between Shining Armor and Twilight. Uh, I like the fact that Shining Armor uh, was, uh, you know, I like the fact that, you know, it shows that when they were fillies and everything that they would, that their parents, Night, I think it was, what is his name? Uh, Nightshade, I think I'm not really, whatever. Uh, that, twi- that the parents, Twilight Velvet, and I think Nightshade, I think that's his name. Uh, would you know give them the would go that traditional route that a lot of parents went through with their kids, and that's the gold star route. That hey, if you did this, you did that, you did da, 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 you get a gold star. But I like the idea that they also added a goal at the end for the kids, and that was being sibling supreme for about a week. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that building that additional build in the sibling rivalry, and it was also nice to see that spike was part of the family all the way back then too. And I like the idea that it alludes, uh, what I'm trying to say is I like the idea that it alludes to the fact, if not shows the fact that when Shining Armor and Twilight would go off to school, Spike would be taken care of uh, by Twilight Velvet and uh, Nightshade. I, I think that's, or Nightlight, I think that's his name. So I like the idea. In fact, if you want a good example of what I'm talking about, you know, Spike being taken care of by the parents, Someone put up a fan art of Twilight Velvet trying to feed Spike as a baby, so it kind of, it kind of definitely. So that's kind, and and that picture's cute and adorable. I like it, but I, again, I love the idea that it shows that Spike doesn't just have a close connection with Twilight as a sister, uh, if you will, as it gets revealed, as he's alluding to, um, as it's alluded to uh, here in this in, in the two hundredth episode. But I like the fact that he has a motherly bond with Twilight Velvet. I like that. So I think it's really cool. Cool and everything. Uh, but overall, the, the premise was great. It's a parody of Ocean's Eleven. Even to the point that uh, Rarity quotes a line from Twilight. Uh, well, not Twilight, but from, well, Rare, well, basically what I'm trying to say is there's even a point where they're trying to come up with a plan to infiltrate Celestia's castle to kind of test out the new security system that Shining Armors put in, uh, which he was called upon by Celestia to put in because of what happened at the beginning of the season and even prior. Uh, basically, what I'm trying to get at is I love... 
<laughs> I, I like there's a, there's a moment where they're trying to plan, where they're coming up with a plan of how they're infiltrated, and Rarity quotes an exact line from Ocean's Eleven. Now, from what I understand, I was watching a review by Dr. Wolf and the others, and uh, basically, one of them said, uh, one of them said basically that um, Tabitha St. Germain, who does Rarity's voice, would always improvise sometimes doing like readings, doing conventions and all that. Oh, she's been known to improvise at times. So I like the idea that it's alluded to that she improvised here with this line. Um, anyway, it's just great. It's just an overall fun episode. Um, it's just an overall fun episode. You see the return of several characters, like Zephyr Breeze. You see, you see Mod make a, you see Mod Pie make a, a cameo or an appearance. Um, and and I like how when Twilight comes up with the plan, the original plan, which they do fall through on, that she plays to each of her friends' strengths. Like with Applejack. It's like, hey, you got strong legs. You can break the freaking damn wall with those legs. You can get us in with your, with your strength. So, uh, I like how she, um, I like how that plan kind of plays to the strengths and everything. But what's interesting is it's not just shining armor and Twilight sibling rivalry and all that that kind of gets focused on, especially with this um, infiltrating game to try to, you know, get the the sibling crown and all that. I like the fact that it also plays that it plays into the sibling rivalry. I like the fact that it plays into sibling rivalry of Celestia and Luna. <laughs> because, <laughs> because Luna is like, you know, yeah, you know, she's looking at this whole plan by Celestia and, and you know, to put in the system by shining armor. And Luna's like, yeah, I don't know about this kind of deal. And, Celestia is just too stubborn to listen to reason, if you will. So I like the idea that uh, Celestia. So I like. So I like the inclusion of the sibling rivalry here. But there's a lot of good moments in here. You got Rainbow Dash. Uh, I think as Thespio Dal Wilsonator said in the same review with Doctor Wolf uh, and Lightning Bliss, Bliss and Josh Scorcher Firebrand. I like how Thespio pointed out the fact that when Rarity basically got <laughs> Rainbow, Dre- Rainbow Dash dressed up to kind of distract Zephyr Breeze that she uh, looked like Megara. She looked like Meg from Disney's Hercules. So that was kind of cool. That was kind of a, a cool Easter egg I think they threw in there. Um, but overall, it was just a great episode. And, and another thing I liked about it is how Shining Armor knew. I even said this in my review that I did last year for it. I like how Shining Armor basically knows Twilight, you know, like the back of her head, like the back, of, like the back of his hoof. He knows his sister and how she thinks. I mean, this is alluded to in Best Gift Ever. It's alluded to in Best Gift Ever when they, uh, when Shining and Cadence enter the kitchen at the Friendship Castle because they've come uh, from the Crystal Empire to spend family time with her, with with Twilight. And when Twilight explains why she's been so distracted and hasn't been able to spend the time she promised to be uh, promised uh, with the family, I like how Shining Armor, after him and Cadence laugh about it, 
And it's not like a cool laugh. It's more of a laugh. And like, you got to be kidding me. Are, are you serious kind of deal? You know, I like how Shining Armor basically just calls her out and says, let me guess. You wanted the gift to be so perfect and you went, you wanted to get to be so perfect that you went on Twilight Nana's, didn't you? And Twi- and I love how Twilight kind of tries to deny and say, like, I didn't go Twilight Nana's. And then Shining just, Shining just gives her a look like, real, like, hello, you, this is me you're talking to, <laughs> you know. And then Twilight's like, okay, maybe a little Twilight Nana's. You know, you got to taste it. And that's from Best Gift Ever. And that's where we kind of got a taste of it. Uh, I think we got a taste of it in earlier seasons too, but I like how we got a taste of it more in the best gift ever. And we see it even now uh, in this, in the 200th episode to where Shining's like, yeah, I know you all too well. I know you all too well. But what I did like, and a lot of people like was the unexpected twist. And that is how it wasn't Twilight that came up with the plan to succeed, to get the crown. It was Spike. All because Spike wanted to basically be be part of something when it came to their family. Because he because Spike has a moment uh, with Fluttershy where he kind of you know explains that when even when they were young, he always wanted to be part of the sibling supreme thing being or part of anything Shining and Twilight did. Like he was their big brother, or like he was the little brother, but they never saw him like that. So I like how Spike took advantage of this moment to kind of kind of prove, hey, I am, you know, I'm just as worthy as you guys to be a sibling to bring here. And what's even funnier is I love how I love how when Spike explains and how he did it, he basically says, because the moment the moment Spike reveals show, reveals that he has the crown and Celestia and Shining and and Twilight and everybody else is like, well, how, how, how'd you do it? You know, I love how Spike's like, oh, come on, Shining and Twilight. You don't think you're the only ones that have a sibling rivalry? I had a little help. And the camera just pans up and you see Luna petting a goose or a swan, a goose, like, like a gangster, like a, a crime lord or a mafia lord. And I love how that plays into the fact that Basically, Luna understands where Spike's coming from, and this is why she helped him. So that, but and, and I love how how at the end you still tease a little tension between the royal sisters. But I love also at the end how you know Spike and Shining officially make uh, Spike the overall sibling supreme and acknowledge that he is the little brother. So I like that. I like the fact that they did that. I thought it was cool, cool and everything, and it de- and it basically puts to rest any kind of rumors of how people view Twilight and Spike's relationship because some would view her as a mother figure and all that, but in this case, it's finally acknowledged that it's a sibling thing between them. They're basically brother and sister. The other thing that made this cool too was. Majority of the episode was written by the actresses, the voice actresses themselves. Oh, as a bit of a thank you to to them for providing the voices for all these years and all these seasons. Okay, so number two, number two. Speaking of sibling rivalries, between Dark and Dawn, 
this to me has to be a great episode. It was a great, it was a great way to go into a mid hiatus. I like the fact that even even just for this one episode, they brought in well-renowned uh, comic book uh, writer and story writer Gail Simone, who's mostly been known to write comics like Batgirl and Catwoman and all that. So it was. I mean, I kind of questioned it at first because they did say because people did say that there was some continuity, um, uh, some kind of some kind of uh, continuity snubs and all that. But uh, overall, I thought she did great. And the dynamic between Luna and Celestia here, I, I thought it was perfect. That was perfect because like, like Thespio, like Voice of Reason, anybody else has talked about it, this shows the royal sisters outside of royalty. It shows them being normal siblings. And of course, normal siblings will have a tiff here and there. And I love how it's a, and I love, and I love how it just builds. I love how it just builds between them uh, throughout their trip, the vacation. And it's just, it's just good. It's just an overall good episode. I mean, I mean, we get, I mean, I like the idea that we get to see these other sides of them that you didn't think they would have. Like Luna, when they're on vacation, wants to be more relaxed, more like take it easy kind of deal before they do anything exciting. And Celestia is more like, I got to get extreme, baby. I got to feel the adrenaline. I got to feel the rush, you know? So I, I, so loved seeing that. And what prompts this basically in the episode is them now suddenly coming to the aid of everybody around them. And basically them acknowledging that when they went and helped at the beginning of the series in the beginning of the end part two, all of a sudden they started feeling that adrenaline rush. They want that adrenaline rush of, hey, we this is cool. We can do more of this. This, this is fun. This is something we need to do. And what's interesting, though, is when I was watching Voice of Reasons and Thespios uh, at the screening review of this, they kind of acknowledged that that being sort of a continuity flub or snub, because if that was the case, why wouldn't they? Why didn't they do this before? It makes them look bad if suddenly now they're acknowledging that they need to get in on the action. But yeah, basically what happens is it gets to the point that Twilight and the rest of the main group say, hey, you need a vacation. It gives me and my friends a chance to see what it's going to be like ruling, ruling the Crestia. And it just goes from there. It just goes from there. I mean, they do go back and forth at times to show how the main six is handling stuff, only for handling certain situations, only to find out that they do need certain help from people that are there to help the Royal sisters and all that. Uh, when it comes to certain, it comes to planning certain events and stuff. So I like how the, the, the learning, you know, they're starting to kind of learn and, you know, realize, okay, this is how you got to do things if you're going to be ruling and stuff. So I, I love that part. I love that. Um, and as far as the, and I will agree with this rainbow dash, Ashley Ball, brought her a game when it came to the quick quips of rainbow dash here because rainbow dash is like, you know, like when the Royal sisters first show up to help rainbow. And I love this. I I love, I got, I love this line rainbow Dash sees them helping out. And she's like, okay, out of all the times we needed help, help from them. And they show up for this. (laughs) 
It's like basically she's calling them out, calling them out for the fact that hey, we've held, we've had to deal with Discord, we've had to deal with Tirek, we've had to deal with Sombra, we've had to deal with the uh, with the Shadow Pony, we've had to deal with Cozy Glow, and all the times we needed help when it came to that stuff, and they decided this is when they want to do it, fighting that giant tortoise. You know, it's just. You know, Rainbow, she just brings her A-game to this. Um, but overall, the episode's just great. And I love, again, you have the moment, the you have the the obvious moments with the sisters, you know, the blowing up, the tension, you know, finally just blowing up. And then finally them reconcile, finally them reconcile, uh, easy for me to say, hold on. You have them finally reconciling, reconciling, and basically acknowledging why I guess there's been a problem between the two. You know, basically Luna feels like it's just, you know, she just feels like she's in the shadow of her sister. Like it's just hard being that little sister that has to look up to the big sister and being the shadow of the big sister. But I like how Celestia didn't kind of counter that by saying that's true, but it's not easy being the big sister either. So, so overall between Dark and Dawn, great, great uh, mid-season finale and a great episode. Just overall good. And now, number one, it's got to be obvious. It's not just one, but it was aired as one episode. It was aired as a complete finale. It's the ending of the end and the last problem. And hold on for a sec. Check something. Yes, just checking something there, guys. But like I said, number one, it's got to be obvious. It's it aired on October 12th as one premiere, one episode, one movie, one finale. It's the ending of the end and the last problem. Now, I know when it comes to the ending ending of the end portion, nobody liked the Grogar twist of, of Grogar being Discord the whole time. Uh, I understand that. Um, but I thought besides that and a few other things, it was good. You had some great moments in there. You had some great action pieces. You know, Starlight Crystalis was good. Uh, you know, the main six going up against Cozy Glow and until, you know, Turek and Crystalis showed up, having her down for the count. You know, uh, let's see. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, oh, 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 the, the reaction everybody had towards Discord. The reaction everybody had towards Discord, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, I think Lost Narrator said it best when doing the Bronies react. She said it best when she said that Celestia it was about to beat the you know what. It looked like Celestia wanted to beat the you know what out of Discord. Uh, mainly because you know Discord basically didn't have the, I guess the common sense, if you will, to let them know. Or even let Fluttershy know of all characters. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of doing this because I want to try to reform these guys. Da, 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 da. But I think from a continuity standpoint, he realized that if he would have done that, they would have said, don't you even think about it. <laughs> but, yeah, I love that. I mean, I loved Celestia's reaction towards Discord. It was like, I, I look at it this way. If they wanted to go pinky, they wanted to go a pinky route a little bit, Looney Tunes route, you could have had Pinky just pull like one of those um, what was it? 
curtains or whatever they're called, silhouette, silhouette curtains, dressing uh, silhouette curtains or whatever. Just pull that in front, and next thing you know, you hear <laughs> just all of a sudden you hear this beating. You pull it back, and Discord just falls back <laughs> down, going like, you know, maybe it wasn't a good idea to not let you guys know at all, or something like that. I always imagine that could have they could have done that and just let Celestia do exactly what Lost Narrator said and seemed like she wanted to do. Uh, but overall, it was just. But overall, besides that, it was great. Some great moments, like you know, Starlight helping to free the rest of the main group, the main six, to go find Twilight. And of course, you have to have your t- moment with Twilight, where she doubts herself now and everything, and she's, and you know, she's just depressed and everything. And you know, it's it's just good. I mean, the final climax is good. The final battle between the battle between the main six and the villains is good. Then you have the rest of Equestria show up to help out because pretty much they realize they've been duped, kind of deal. So it's great. It's just a great finale. A, a great, you know. A great first half of finale, in my opinion. It's I don't think anybody can I don't think anything else could top that. And then when you get to the last problem, it's like this this is where it really gets a little emos- emotional for a lot of people because you know it's the last episode. But the way it begins, I will admit, will throw anybody out. I mean off track because it's like, wait a minute. We're doing a time skip? What the heck? But yeah, they do a time skip and Basically, I think what really I think if there was one thing that would get critical or criticized by the what I'm trying to say is there is one thing that would get criticized by a lot of people when it came to the last problem is the fact that basically history is going to repeat itself, that we have this new character called Lust of Dawn, and she's being set up as some of the people in Bronis React pointed out as the new Twilight, because what is Twilight doing? Twilight's basically doing to Lust of Dawn what Celestia did to her. But a majority of the episode is told in flashback. It fo- focuses on the coronation and, you know, how Twilight's kind of afraid that, you know, f- the friend the friendship she has is- with the others is going to, you know, dissolve and everything. And, you know, at first it seems like the rest of the main group doesn't, you know, really bat an eye at what's going on. Um, and until we get to the moment where Twilight confronts them about why they're acting this way, why they're acting like it's not a big deal that she's leaving. And finally, you get the rest of the main group kind of break down a little bit and admit that they were just trying to be strong for Twilight, that they didn't want to show emotion, that they feel the same way, that they don't want to lose this friendship. Um, and I thought that was... And, you know, despite how you might feel about that, you know, it's a good, it is a very relatable thing that you don't, when it comes to certain moments in life, moving or whatever transitions, you don't want to show a lot of emotion. And, you know, that is, again, very relatable to a lot of people. Uh, But basically when I, but basically overall, I thought it was, that was good. I I liked the fact, again, if the flashback focused on the coronation the coronation was part of a story that she was trying. That Twilight was telling her new student, you know, Lester Dawn, on when it came to making friends and all that. But then we get to the future versions of the main group, and it's like that really came off as a big surprise to a lot of people because you see that Pinky has a kid, 
you see Rarity is probably Rarity is a little older. She has silver in her hair. Uh, it's alluded that it's implied and alluded that Applejack and Rainbow Dash and the LGBTQ couple. Uh, it's alluded to and implied that Fluttershy and Discord are now more than flip, more than more than friends. So, yeah, the change. So yeah, that those moment, that moment, that that scene there was a revelation of how the rest of the group turned out in the future. Yeah, it was really a surprise to a lot of us, to a lot of fans, including myself, because it's like you know, you would think like with Pinky, she'd be the last one you would think would be a mom, but yet here you go. And uh, Rarity, you know, it it's kind of implied, especially when you get to the last song, on which is called "Magic of Friendship Grows," and you see how everybody else has turned out, like from the student six to Starlight and Sunburst and Trixie and the CMCs ease and everything. So, you know, but like I said, it's kind of alluded to that when you go through that montage with that song that, you know, Spike and Rarity may have gotten together in some capacity. Like they may have found time to, you know, become more than friends, become like boyfriend, girlfriend, and kind of like have that kind of unique love relationship that, you know, you know, suits, well, does kind of suit people, suit, suit a lot of people to where it's like, you know, you commit to each other, but you know, you're going to be back you're going to all these other places around, but you know that, know that, that no matter what is tempted, tempted towards you or whatever, that you're always going to stay true to that one individual. I kind of get that feeling here with the implant, the indication and implication that that Spike and Rarity have that kind of relationship. Uh, but overall, uh, Last Problem is just good. It's really good. I like the song. The song is great. I like that during the ending, when you have the main six coming across the screen individually, you get a montage of a collage montage of or a collage basically of all the characters they've been associated with, they've interacted with. I really liked it. I really did. And I liked when they did the collage in the background for Twilight. They did not ignore, and everybody pointed this out, they did not ignore uh, Sunset or Flash because of a question it goes. The, it, the, basically, by adding Sunset, Shimmer, and Flash Sentry uh, into the collage behind Twilight, it basically establishes that, yes, as much as some people may hate to say it, Equestria Girls is in the same continuity as Friendship is Magic. It's just in another universe. You know, the universe timeline kind of deal, whatever. Um, but overall, I really liked Last Problem, and I, I liked it. Uh, overall, I liked Last Problem, and I just liked the series finale in general. And I liked it so much that I've put it, I've had, I, as I've said before, as I've shown before, and, I've, and I'll mention it again, I've added it, ba- I've basically uh, recorded it, and even uh, DVD burned it to three several separate discs, some on its own and some with you know various other specials and stuff. So overall, yeah, number one is the ending the, is the series finale, the ending of the ending of the end and the last problem. So yeah, those there are my top five. So those are my so there number four. So there at number four. Oh, I'm trying to get out. Hold on. <laughs> okay, let me let me get my mind straight here. What I'm trying to say is, so yeah, there at number four here on our topics on my mind for the animation portion, uh, 
Those are my five best My Little Pony Friendship is Magic episodes. Oats, Dragon Dropped, Going to Seed, Episode 200, Sparkle 7, Between Dark and Dawn, and the series finale, Ending of the End, and Last Problem. So yeah, those are my five best for the fourth topic here on the animation portion of Topics on My Mind. And basically, guys, that's going to be that's going to do it. That's about that's about going to do it, I should say. Uh, thank you all for watching. I know this went on a lot longer than it should. It's about two hour, almost two and a half hours in. But again, thank you all for watching. Really appreciate those that joined me in the live chat. And let me know what you guys think in the comment section later on. What are your thoughts on some of the topics that I just mentioned? Some of these may get their own individual um, videos later on. I just got to wait till the entire live stream has uh, been finished process has finished processing courtesy of YouTube because obviously that takes a while now. I don't know why, but you know there's a reason. Uh, but thank you all for watching though. Really appreciate it. And that's all I'm gonna say. So till next time, have a good day. Stay safe. I am out. God bless. Take care. Peace.